Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? Comics and Pop Culture Podcast, coming to you from the not-so-solitary fortress. That is WaitWhatPodcast.com. Episode 205 finds Graham McMillan and I live and in person, right where we belong. In a Portland basement, arguing about San Diego Comic-Con. Topics in this shortish hour and 15-minute podcast include the career of Rachel Talile, the Wonder Woman trailer, Batgirl Rebirth by Hope Larson and Raphael Albuquerque, the chilling adventures of Sabrina, superpowers by Tom Scioli, Craftsman Bolton System Saves the Justice League, and much, much more. Show notes are available at waitwhatpodcast.com. We welcome your comments and questions at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. And we invite you to look out for us on Twitter, Tumblr, and Patreon. As always, we hope you enjoy. And thank you for listening. best part is, I can already see we pulled up. Ah. I'm like, well, now I know what Jeff's going to talk about. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know. That's, yeah, okay. Hey, Jeff, Jeff Lester. Graham McMillan. This is so weird because we're in the same space. I know, I totally blew it. Yeah, (laughs) I was like, ah, that felt wrong. So, yes. Hi, everyone. Welcome to the podcast. That's right. It's our annual let's meet and record in the same room and feel incredibly awkward about it. But the best part is this year we're, in, we're literally in a basement. Yeah, it's we're true. We're actually in yeah. some, not even our basement, someone else's basement. Yeah. Which is kind of great. I feel like we've achieved the podcast goal. Absolutely. <laughs> the comic book but, nerd dream. But there is a lovely couch. There is. It is, it is actually quite nice. It's yeah. sectional. It's comfortable. Um, it's ashtray colored. It's everything that you would want. Really weird color, isn't it? It's pretty impressive. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, first of all, apologies for the case. Yeah. What happens when the two of us are in the same space, not wearing headsets? Sorry, you guys. Yeah. A little more ambient noise in the wild. So there is actually Jeff. Do you hear that? Yes. Yeah, it's the heating. I think. Right. Right. Even though the heating isn't on, it's like yeah. it's the ninety degrees outside. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. But there's and that will have meant nothing to you listeners because there's no way you'll have heard that. But there's you know in Star Trek where they have like the, the hum of the Enterprise. Yes, it's like that. Yeah, it kind of. You're just is. sitting here and you're like, wait, there is a noise. Yeah, yeah. It is. It is the hum of the ship. Graham McMillan, Jeff Lasser, Star Trek Beyond. Did you see it yet? Nope. Have you? Nope. Hooray! Hey, Ghost! I'm really, really, I, I want to see it. I want to see that, and I want to see Ghostbusters, and I haven't had a chance. Right. Because uh, there's been Comic-Con. Maybe you've not heard. Yes. They, they had Comic-Con last week. Uh, and it was, I say last week, it's like three days ago as we record, and holy shit. Um, <laughs> uh, and then, before that, we were getting our moving house. So, we, like, anything like that has, has not happened. And it's such a shame. Two movies I legitimately want to go and see at this movie theater. Yeah. All right. And it's like, I might miss both of you. Well, Motherfucker. Well, the reason why I asked was, I know you didn't have the free time, but wasn't there, like, a press screening at there SDCC? There was. But okay. while uh, everyone else from Team Hollywood Reporter went to the press screening, and I'm not joking, everyone else, well, it wasn't even the press screening, it was the premiere. Oh. It was the red carpet premiere. While everyone else went to that... I was seeing the Invisible Jet reveal from DC Comics. <laughs> Someone might have made the wrong decision. It might have been me. It wasn't even my choice. But, yeah. but still. Wow. Yeah, yeah it's kind of sad. Uh, and at uh, one point, so they do the, the Invisible Jet reveal. Right. And to be fair to them, like the Invisible Jet itself, not the most exciting. But the reveal was really well done. It was like this press thing. It was in an area away from the, the Comic-Con itself. Mm-hmm. And they have a live 
art installation going on. Mm-hmm. So you've got these three artists paying, like, painting like massive Wonder Woman portraits. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all catered. Wow. So you have like swanky waiters going around offering you food, offering you a drink. Uh, and at one point, like, fireworks went off, and you're like, this is really impressive. And then they're like, oh, Invisible Jet. And you're like, everything else was more impressive than your Invisible Jet. Right. Sorry, DC. Well, now, uh, how, how did they How did they do it? Because, of course, there is the whole joke of, you know. Oh, you we, just... we all made the joke. And by when I say we all, I mean the journalists and people from DC yeah. all made the joke of it would be really funny if we pulled the. Because there was, yeah. you went in, and, like, an entire section of the, the space had been. Covered in curtain. Curtained off, right. Yeah. And we were all making the joke of, it'd be really funny if you open the curtain and there's nothing there, and they're like, it's invisible! Exactly. Right? Because that would be funny, yeah, right? That would be but, a, be a gas. No, it was a... I told you this last night. It was literally a vacuum form shape of clear plastic mm-hmm. uh, of, of the profile of the jet mm-hmm. set against the backdrop. Mm-hmm. And the backdrop had a door in it, and you can climb in, and you could sit in, and they take your photo. Wow. So did you get your photo taken inside? The I event? did not, because, Jeff, you may or may not remember the photo of me wearing the fucking military exoskeleton. Yes, and I yeah. love that one. And, and that is the reason. Oh, come on. That Seriously? Is, yeah, that is the reason, because that, that lived on for a long time on the internet. And I was like, no, because uh, DCPR people were like, you, you should go in. And at one point, I'm naming no names. On the podcast, I'll tell you later, but someone from DCPR got really excited with the idea of me being in the plane yeah. and told her boss, the vice president of publicity for DC Entertainment, that I should be in all the beautiful footage that they'd give to the press. <laughs> <laughs> and, like, and she was like, Graham would be really into this. It'll, it'll be a, he's too ashamed to say it himself, but it'll be a dream come true for him. And I'm behind her going, no, no, shut up. No, I don't want to. This is not, this is not funny. Yeah. That's awesome. Well, I have to say it's it's a shame because that is probably is a dream of mine crushed because that would you wanted to be an invisible jet? You want no, no. I want you in the oh, you in the invisible jet? Absolutely. I have no, I've got no real fondness to be in the invisible jet. Oh, okay. So the invisible jet thing's there because DC spent their entire Comic Con going Wonder Woman. You guys, seventy fifth anniversary Wonder Woman. Right. So you had that. You had the stamps. You had the live art installation. You had Gal Gadot there. You had like a special panel just about Wonder Woman. Oh, I missed uh, the stamps announcement. That's awesome. Yeah, it's um, what's the first artist on Wonder Woman? Harry Peter. Uh, yeah, Harry up? Peters. Harry G. Peters. I think. Uh, and Ross Andrew and Cliff Chang and George Perez art. I think. I know it makes sense. Uh, and it's it's they're either out now or they're out super soon. Wow. Um, and they have. Like, they had Nicholas Scott there, talking about Wonder Woman, obviously. They mm-hmm. had uh, Liam Sharp. Surprisingly, no Greg Rucka. Hmm. I, kind of weird, because they were pushing Wonder Woman so much. Was Rucka not at the con? Not that I saw. No? Okay. Um, but, so yeah, so they, they were really, really pushing Wonder Woman. You're like, Bleh. So they have the Invisible Jet, mm-hmm. and then at the the movie like thing on Saturday but they're like here's the trailer and the trailer like I really like the trailer the trailer is quite nice yeah in fact I figured to the extent if if you didn't have tons of amazing SDCC news I figured we could just talk about the trailers because honestly the trailers were the only things I really paid attention to apart from the superpowers thing that we'll of course talk about um so yeah so they do the Invisible Jet and then uh, the movie thing they're like yeah the Invisible Jet isn't in the movie well, that makes sense, because it'd be an invisible prop plane. That's the, that's the reasoning. 
Wow. The reason is because the movie takes place in like 1915 or something. Uh, probably right. 1917. I think they're literally doing 100 years back from when it comes out. Um, that it wouldn't be mm-hmm. an invisible jet. It right. would be an invisible prop plane. Which is kind of bullshit because it's invented by the Amazon in the first place. Exactly. They've got a totally different... Right? Yeah, yeah, no. But, but there you go. Right. Um, the Wonder Woman 75th panel, I really enjoyed it. It's actually all online. You can watch it on YouTube now. DC uploaded it. Um, but there's a great bit where they've clearly been told, like, these are the books you should talk about. Mm-hmm. And so you have Jim Lee being like, there's two books that you should really read if you're, you know, you want one room. One is the Jill Thompson graphic novel, the, the all-ages Jill Thompson graphic novel that's coming out in a couple of months. Huh. The other is Wonder Woman Earth One. <laughs> and he said something like, they're for very different audiences. <laughs> and I was like, yeah, I think you've kind of got to get that in there. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. that. Yeah. 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 Um, but no, Wonder Woman was their big thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and DC purposefully were like, we're not doing any announcements at, at Comic-Con. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, and I talked to one of the people and was like, why? And they rightfully said, they were like, have you ever tried to compete with movie stuff? Like Comic-Con. Right. They're like, as they said, they said, we've tried doing big announcements. We've tried doing big announcements just before Comic-Con. And they were trying no announcements. And we're looking to see, like, which, like, do, do any of them really make any difference? Right. Because they're like, anecdotally, big announcements and big announcements before Comic-Con are basically the same. Mm-hmm. You get roughly the same coverage. You might even get more coverage mm-hmm. if you mm-hmm. don't do it at Comic Con. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's it's. I mean, that's just what happened. Marvel's announcements were were minor. Marvel sent out uh, a release ahead of time, saying these are our announcements. Mm-hmm. What do you want to write about? These are our announcements. And you know what they didn't have on there was the, the only thing everyone talked ta- about. The Tanasi uh, quotes Roxanne Gay Black Panther book wow. was not on there because they promised it to the New York Times. So they didn't tell anyone. They didn't even say, it's embargoed, you can't run anything. They just outright did not even include it on there. Oh, Marvel. Right? Yeah. That was such a dick move. Yeah. Oh, well, if it makes you feel any better, I heard that the, the, that was the only announcement that I really, again, I'm a bad audience. To You're messages. a bad comic podcaster. You should have taken note of everything. It's true. It is totally true. I did not do that. I, I worked my little butt off and then hit vacation. And then once we were on vacation, it was... I almost tweeted on the Wait What account that you and I were doing a crossover wrong. Because, <laughs> listeners, uh, the day after I flew to California for Comic-Con, Jeff came to Oregon. Yeah. Yeah, and it was weird being in Portland knowing that just about every comic pro was down there, you know? It's... Well, you don't normally come up and see the comic pros, do you? Are you? Are no, you I don't. All the comic pros, and I don't even know about it. No, no. I mean, that's like going up and I, comic I, pros I'm far me. too shy, and I avoid absolutely all of them. But it was kind of that weird factor of like, but I couldn't now, even if exactly. I wanted to. Well, no, you probably could. There was a bunch that didn't go anywhere, and there's a bunch that doesn't don't go now. Right. Uh, I think a lot of people are just. Yeah. Well, it makes sense. <laughs> Bless you. Bless me. So, and did did this SDCC have a have a slightly different vibe then, or no? Because this SDCC had a really different vibe just in general. Uh huh. Um, I spent I spent a lot of time talking to people I don't normally talk to, which kind of contributed. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, but I don't think you know they always have the who won Comic Con. Yeah. I don't know who won Comic Con this year mm-hmm. because Marvel went. Oh, fucking out at their movie panel. 
Mm-hmm. I mean, they had like six different movies there. They had cast. They had cast in costume. Wait, did they? Yeah, they had. Um, they brought in the Ravagers. Is that what they're called? Uh-huh. Yondu's pirates from Guardians of the Galaxy. Right. Uh, heckled the panel mm. in quote marks mm-hmm. by coming up in costume and taking over before the the main cast came out. Mm. Um, and you had Doctor Strange, and like that included Ben Cumberbatch vanishing trick at the end. Wow. Uh, yeah, I mean Marvel went as much out as you could legitimately go, mm-hmm. and. The level of enthusiasm at Comic-Con for that? Mm-hmm. I didn't really see it. Mm. Um, it was a super weird... Like, it was a super weird presentation. It mm-hmm. seemed more interested in uh, logos than anything else. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you may not have seen this, but like Marvel Studios debuted their new logo. And their new logo has studios in as big letters as Marvel's. As mm-hmm. Marvel. And also, you know, it used to be, like, the comic panels, and then it turned to the logo? Yeah. It's now stills from the movie. Oh, shit. Which is super weird, right? Yeah, it's not surprising, but... But it's like, all your rumors about Marvel Studios and Marvel Comics falling out don't, are not helped. Are, yeah, you exactly. Are your pretty logo. much held out. Yeah. yeah. Uh-huh. And then you put studio, like, you put studios in the logo now all of a sudden. Yeah. You know, so it no longer says, like, Marvel, Black Panther. Now it says Marvel Studios, Black Panther. Yeah. Um, which is really, like, weird, I guess. It's interesting, um, but yeah. So, it's, but th- that seems there was they showed footage that they didn't release online, oh, which is a shame. Okay, they showed the Doctor Strange trailer, which they did. They showed another clip, which they didn't. Mm-hmm. There was a what Thor did during Civil War uh-huh. joke piece uh-huh. uh, by the guys directing Thor three. That I can't remember, but he did what we did in the shadows, and it's essentially like Thor at home being bored, calling up the Hulk, like you know. Doing some baking, shit like that. I mean, it's a funny thing, but right. it, it's like it's tailor made to be released online. It's super weird that they didn't release it. Yeah, and James Gunn has already been like, "You're not going to see the Guardian stuff because it's not finished," mm-hmm. and I don't want the internet basically to see something when it's not finished because they'll pick holes in it, which you can't really disagree with. Sure, but the end result of that was, if you weren't in Hall H, Marvel mm-hmm. seems super underwhelming. Mm-hmm. Whereas DC were like, we're putting everything up five minutes after we show it in the fucking Hall H. Yeah. Which was really smart. It was really Because it meant everyone could go, oh, I like that Wonder Woman trailer. Oh, I like that Justice League uh, clip. I exactly. like the, the Suicide Squad trailer. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, exactly. I saw all of those in Kong of Skull Island, and I'm like, okay. What, what do you think that? of Kong of Skull Island? You know, well, excuse me, I... I laughed, but probably for not just the wrong reasons, but the obscure wrong reasons. I'm talking to a journalist, and I will say this right now, not one of the Hollywood Reporter people. Okay. I talked to a journalist at another outlet before Kong Skull Island trailer or anything has gone up. And they have to talk, they have to interview the cast of Kong Skull Island. Right. And they literally are like, I have nothing to talk to these people about. I don't care about this film. I don't know anyone who cares about this film. And we're doing jokes about did you study small monkeys before you had to imagine a big monkey? Like, you know, we're doing that. That trailer fucking killed Comic-Con. Yeah. And then everyone online is like, did you see Comic-Con? And we were like, really? Because all the press there were like, this is a dumb film. Well, And then the internet just went, no, this is a great film. It, it is It is a great trailer. I gotta say, for me, it had everything. I mean, on the one hand, like I said, the part, the only part that I laughed at, the, the, the inappropriate part, is the fact that Tom Hiddleston, Tom Hiddleston has 
literally didn't bother to change his clothes from the night manager or his haircut. He has exactly the same look. He's got a look that works for him, though. I know. He's found it, and he is not letting it go. That man is, like, seriously, if I if I were his stylist, I would just start, like, charging extortionary rates because he, he wants that look bad. It clearly worked for him. Anyway, yeah, no, I saw that one, and I was like, oh, this is kind of clever because it's got lots of nice little touches in it, yeah. like, you know, the military helicopters going by and the little dragonfly. And then when it just erupts into, it's, it's kind of it's, that it's classic. Yeah, it's just got, it's got every, it's got exactly what you would want. Because you've got to have, like, for a good Kong movie, you've got to have the guys who chew the scenery and the fact that you've got Samuel L. Jackson chewing well, the scenery exactly. against John Goodman. They're having, like, a, a, a scene chew off. Such a good idea. And then, you know... As the sensitive love interests, you know, and, and the fact that it's more of a period piece and they're playing up the Apocalypse Now references. What's really funny darkness. to me, though, is, like, and I think it's Samuel L. Jackson and period pieceness of it. Yeah. I was like, it's the Tarzan movie that just came out. Mm-hmm. It's a fucking Tarzan movie, but there's monsters. And somehow people have gone, oh, well, I like it then. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, that's what, I didn't want to see Alexander Skarsgård in Tarzan. I wanted to see a CGI Godzilla. Yeah, Absolutely. That is an excellent rule of thumb. <laughs> I am sorry. Oh, come I on. I can understand there is a, I'm sure there is a, a very vociferous group of, of Skarsgård fans. They're, they're, my wife is one of them. Yeah. She had never heard of him before she saw him promote that movie on Colbert. And after that, she was like, I like that man. I don't know who he is. She was on YouTube looking up clips for about him. Really? She's yeah. got she's got a lot of True Blood to catch up on. We've then, seen right? True Blood as well. Like it, he did not even vaguely register with her then. Really? Yep. Huh. Interesting. There was something about him on Colbert in particular. Right. That she was like, I like that man. Serve me up a tall drink of that. Yep. Yeah. It's um, so so that we then saw him on Seth Meyers show, maybe? Mm-hmm. And she's like, oh, he's not as funny as he was on Gobert. Oh, <laughs> Like, you get grades. The, the, yeah, like the, I see. The oh, thing. that's good. Um, no, so, but, you know, it, it, the, the Warner Brothers presentation, because they put the videos online, seems to be more of a hit outside of Hall Age. Mm-hmm. So you have this weird thing where it's like, who, which audience are you playing for now? Right. You know, are you playing for the mass audience? Yeah. Or are you playing for the people in the room? Uh, but I don't think anyone won. I don't. Uh, I talked to talked to someone of Johnny uh, Quarterly the day after the Eisners, mm-hmm. and they were fucking thrilled. Jeff, mm-hmm. they were on cloud nine mm-hmm. because mm-hmm. they tied with Image for the most Eisners for the night. Wow! They won every single category they were nominated in, mm-hmm. and they were just like victory. Yeah, we've done it. This yeah. is great. That's pretty impressive. Um, and, and I talked to Fantasy Graphics, Manta, I think, got three Eisners on it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they were also just like, yeah, this is the best we can hope for. This and good sales. That's that's what we can hope for from Comic Con. Mm-hmm. And they seem to be the most people that were into it, if that makes sense. The Fanta people or the, oh, the Fanta and the D&Q people? Yeah, and, and, but, but also like first, uh, second, and companies like that. Like companies who right. are, are the... I mean, what do you call them now? Because art comics isn't... Like, I, I really bristled calling DQ art comics because they've got Kate Beaton and they've got Lisa Hannibal. Yeah. And I'm not saying what they do isn't art. I'm saying that shit is so mainstream Yeah, that a really bristled going, well, superhero comics are the mainstream because fucking Kate Beaton, it's yeah. far more mainstream than superhero comics. Agreed, agreed. No, it is one of those things you know? that just stumps. I mean, even alternative publishers... Right, seems, really... seems weird. Yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah. Completely. Like, Fanta does Snoopy. 
Right, right. Or you look at Scholastic doing like Reina. Exactly. Yeah, you can say that that's. Yeah, exactly. That's outsells everything on the planet. Yeah, yeah, exactly. That's. Um, But that's. Those are the publishers, the comic publishers who seem to do best. Uh. I I have no real relationship with anyone at Marvel, so I can't give you any like Marvel thoughts. Mm-hmm. But like DC were were having a great show, but mm-hmm. pretty much because they were like, we're just going to show up and we're going to like do panels and that's it. We're not going to try and break news. And I think that made a difference for them. Yeah, I think they're like we're having a much better show because we're not trying to break news. Right, you're not actually trying to fight. To make yeah, we're not. We're not tr- like we're not feeling anxiety about is this is this going to be a thing? And also to be fair. Wonder Woman was one of the few things of the show where people were genuinely excited. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Well, see, that's it. I feel like that Wonder Woman movie trailer was a win. I was at the the, the Wonder Woman 75 panel, which Mm -hmm. was that afternoon. Mm -hmm. But not everyone had seen the trailer, because obviously it was Hall H. Right. And it was later that same day. Right. But I was in the room, and I, uh, I ended up sitting between, like, a group of really intense Wonder Woman fans. Like, I like Wonder Woman. I've read a lot of Wonder Woman comics, but these guys were... Straight up fans, like genuinely, really intense. None of them had seen the trailer, and I'm like, "Oh, I saw the trailer before." Because they like sat down, and I was like making notes and everything on the computer, and they're like, "What are you doing?" And I was like, "I'm pressed." Uh, and they were like, oh, "Have you seen the trailer?" I was like, "Yeah, I saw the trailer before." Like, is it really good? I hear it's really good. And so in that three hours, mm-hmm. it had spread completely through. Of the five people I talked to, three of them had been waiting in that room. For an hour through the previous panel because they wanted to see it that much. Yeah. The room was full ten minutes before the panel started. Mm-hmm. And it was a big fucking room. Yeah. Um and when the trailer was shown for the first time, this girl who asked me, I say girl, like she's my age or thereabouts, like maybe a bit younger, but mm-hmm. like no younger than thirty. Mm-hmm. Okay. Lost her shit. Lost her shit in excitement. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And it was great. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's so... Yeah. It's really easy, especially on the internet, to, for people just to shit on things. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? And be like, well, you know, sure, it looks good, but did you notice that she only had two lines in the trailer? Mm-hmm. And this woman was just, like, so fucking ecstatic yeah. seeing this trailer. Yeah. And I was like, this is great. You know, the thing that was great about the trailer is that I think, you know... In part because we saw Gal Gadot have lines in Batman v yeah. Superman. Yeah, you don't, you're not actually concerned that they're like maybe she can't act. Right, exactly. Yeah. But I, I, I think the flip side of it is, is I think there, there, at least for me, there was a certain amount of worry that that they wouldn't bring the action. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I know that that one of the things is they were very aware in that trailer. That they oh, had hey, to, we, yeah, we have to show you that some, like there is going to be action set pieces, and but the, uh, but also there's something about the action in the trailer. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like it feels weirdly coded, uh, we weird weirdly coded in a good way, mm-hmm. but it feels like it's not just you know punching and punching and punching. Like it's in, it's interesting to me that you see her break a gun at one point. Yeah, like it's interesting that she is. So one of the trailers for Batman vs Superman, you see Batman doing his his beatdown, and he's like putting people's heads through fucking crates, right? And there's something about the way the Wonder Woman fights in this trailer, yeah, that feels like she is not necessarily humane because she's also like there with a sword going, yeah, fuck you, right? But there's I don't know, it feels interestingly, she's doing this 
in a a way to minimize their harm, but she's also not fucking around with. Yeah, I mean, we will see. One of the things that I liked about it was it was at least ambiguous enough, because like you said, there's swords. She's running around with ancient weaponry in pretty yeah. much every shot where she's Wonder Woman. And yeah. even the stuff with the golden lasso was pretty great. Yeah. So I just like the fact that they clearly made it a point to be like, there, like it's coded for. There are multiple action scenes in this movie, <laughs> which is the part that I really dug. You know, I I, like, you know what I was thinking this morning. Um, I'm really glad that the Wonder Woman film is going to be the first big female lead. Mm-hmm. Like, not just because it's one Wonder Woman; it's historical. But there's the bit in the trailer where uh, Chris Pine says something like, "I can't let you do this," and she basically says, "You don't, you're not in charge of what I do." Yeah, and that's a great line in the trailer because you're like. Thank you. That's what I want. I want a woman basically saying, no, yeah. it, this is me. This, this is my moment. This is my thing. And I don't think that Captain Marvel can do that as a character. And I'm not saying Captain Marvel is, a, is not a feminist character, mm-hmm. but I don't think she, the way she has been written in the comics, and especially don't trust Marvel Studios to emphasize this, right. is going to be such a character that can say something as blunt as that. As, as trailer-ready as that. Well, yeah, but the, and this is the other thing, and part of the reason why I think maybe they decided to do this is I think it's very easy to set a movie back in 1917. It's almost like, it's almost oh, like oh, the okay. Mad trick, you well, know? Exactly, because you can yeah. be like, oh, sexist. Uh, some, yeah. Someone said, I think maybe it was Al Collins said that on Twitter, mm-hmm. that she was like, you know, it's really smart for, of them to set it back where she can be, like, Outright feminist yeah. in an era where you're not actually clashing with anything that exists today and can upset, can upset right like the MRAs exactly you know exactly but uh, I, okay so Brie Larson's Captain Marvel mm-hmm. excited not excited do you mm-hmm. have any opinion whatsoever I not really I mean I, I I just don't maybe maybe if I maybe if they had some sort of footage or something I'd be like woo but. Yeah, no, I mean, I think Brie Larson is, like, an incredibly talented actress, and, uh, you know, it's, it's, yeah, it's like, that. let's see who the director is. Exactly. I Although, mean, there's a rumor today that it's Rachel Talali, and I'm, I'm really excited if that's the case. Huh. Interesting. What else did Talali do? Talali did Tank Girl way back when. Oh. But Talali is mostly known these days for TV. Mm-hmm. She did, uh, she's done... Doctor Who, the two-parter of the first Capaldi, mm-hmm. two-part finale of the first Capaldi season, and the two-part opener of the most recent Capaldi season. Hmm. She did an episode of Flash, and she's done an episode of the team show that I can't remember the name of, Legends of Tomorrow. Ah, right. Um, and she's not only a good director, mm-hmm. she's really savvy in the nerd social space, mm-hmm. which I think, I think whoever takes this on will have to be. Um, so I, I think she's a super smart choice, if, which almost makes me think, and so Marvel won't do it. Marvel <laughs> will go for, you know, someone who is cheaper. Oh, I don't know, because Tawali's doing TV. It's not, you oh, know no, what I mean? No, exactly. It's not like she has, yeah. you know. I, honestly, they went for Kugler for Black Panther, so yeah. they're obviously willing to spend money when it's the right person. When it's the right person, and I think they also have, sort. it, it seems like they take they have a person that they, a director that they sort of latch onto that sort of helps you know, steer the ship. You know super interesting? So Patty Jenkins is on the Wonder Woman 75 panel, mm-hmm. and you may or may not remember, she was directing Thor 2 for like two seconds. Yeah, exactly. 
And so she's talking about, like, she basically gets up there and is like, I've always wanted to make this film. Mm-hmm. She's apparently been pitching Wonder Woman since she made Monster. Wow. Um, she was like, Superman 1 is the film that made me want to make films. Like, I've always wanted to make a superhero movie. Like, this has been my thing. And she basically says, without outright saying it, I'm really glad I went through the Marvel experience because now I know what I don't want to do. Uh, she said something coded like, it I made me realize how important it was that you're on the same page as the studio about the movie you want to make. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Which I think is, is how the directors who thrive within Marvel thrive within Marvel. Yes, exactly. Like, it, it makes sense to choose so many TV directors. Because it's a TV mentality. Because in TV, directors are there to service the writer's vision. That's right. And in, in Marvel Studios, they're there to service the studio's vision. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's true. Although, interestingly enough, I think that, again, they... Yeah, there's a certain level of team playerness. You know, in other words, I'm thinking that, for example, James Gunn, who hasn't necessarily done a lot of TV as far as yeah. I know, no, no. seems to fit in very well with Marvel's sure, current sure. zeitgeist, sort of in part because he is helping, has helped shape it a little bit, the same way that when Whedon was there in the Avengers, it seemed like he was kind of helping shape. And that yeah. may or may not be the case. Definitely, I think Thor was one of those situations where, I mean, I I think for, for Jenkins it was a bad break, but it was also, it was... It was I think it was a bad break for who, what was the name of the guy who ended up doing it? Oh, Alan, what's his name? Yeah, from Game of Thrones, but yeah. I can't remember his last name. I, I'm blocking it. Um, but it's not like it's a good film. I well, mean, it's not a bad film, but it's also, if someone's like, those great Marvel films... I have. I gotta admit, I haven't seen it. Man, I'm I was going to say it's the only Marvel Studios movie I haven't seen. Few it. people who aren't Dylan Todd would really rep for Thor two. Well, but for me, the thing, like hearing about it, it was very clear because again, Jenkins came in. You've got Natalie Portman was a much bigger star, and it's one of those situations where it helped make the first film, but then they were clearly in this problem of we're screwed. You know, because <laughs> because it was clear Portman was did not want to in the film. Yeah, didn't want it well, and especially because there is that idea of she, you know, she signed up for it. Maybe it was just a money thing, but at a certain point, she realized this was not where she wanted to be. I think that she, you know, she and Jenkins were tight, and yeah. then and then that was the you know. So it's kind of losing sight of a power struggle, and and I think and and these very differing visions, which is interesting because there's ways in which you know, arguably, that happens on. Regular movies all the time, yeah. sort of. Yeah, so. but it's kind of different. I mean, the Marvel movies are also movies where the director doesn't direct the entire movie because the end tags are always by someone else. Like, the, there's maybe like three Marvel movies out of thirteen where the end tags are by the person who did the main movie. Oh, interesting. Yeah, because well, it's almost always the person who does the net. Like, because the end tag will set up mm-hmm. the next movie, right? And it, it's it's that person who does that. Mm-hmm. Like the. Um, was it Avengers Age of Ultron that had the, the end? Of it? No, it was Ant-Man. Ant-Man ends with a literal scene from Civil War. Yes, exactly. They just, took, short, out, they just took out of Civil yeah. War and put yeah. into Ant-Man. No, and it looks and it feels weird. It totally right? is. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but uh, what other film was it? Maybe it was Avengers Age of Ultron. There's definitely another Marvel movie where... It was Thor. It was Thor 2. Um, it was Thor 2 where the director said... In interviews to promote the film, I didn't direct either of the end cap sequences, and I wish they weren't there. Hmm. Interesting. 
And that's just like, that's just the way it is. Mm. Like you are, you're there. And this isn't even a bad thing necessarily, but you're there to do the studio's bidding. Right. And the studio has final say. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so if the studio says, you know, great film, mm-hmm. really like the way you tied everything up, gonna put this thing off the credits to undo half of it. Right. <laughs> that you're just gonna be like, okay. Yeah. I guess. Yeah, no, it's true. It's a it's a it's a complicated little little world in that yeah. sense. And it's also super strange when you see like the Thor so Thor two actually ends with Odin, I think he's dead, I can't remember. But he's being replaced by Loki, mm-hmm. who is in disguise as oh. as Odin. Wow. Right? Right. Thor two came out when? Yeah, a long time ago. And so you'd think Thor was setting something up. Right. And then you read all the, like, Thor Ragnarok things, and they're like, so Thor's on an alien planet being a gladiator beside Hulk. And you're like, did you guys forget there was an entire fucking cliffhanger? Yeah, yeah. Well, I mean, that's... Uh, or is Tom Hiddleston just too busy being Tom Hiddleston there? Do you, do you no. try and get him back? Or? Uh, well, maybe. I think, they, I think they're... I sort of assume that they're putting that piece... I mean, it's kind of like the Thanos stuff, which is just sort of, you know... A loose cat. Can, but can we also just say that they've waited too long for Thanos at this point? Yeah, I think so. Like, Thanos should have been in something, like, should have been the point of something already? Uh, yeah. Well, yes, uh, and I think the I think the only way they can really pull it off now would be this idea that that when Infinity, whatever the Infinity... Infin- Infinity War, War starts up. Open brackets, not official title, close brackets. Yeah, o- opens up, basically, that Thanos has already won. You know what I mean? In other words, that he, he got the gauntlet, he took everything over, and they didn't even realize it. Because yeah. otherwise, it's it literally is that idea of, like, it's been years. Yeah, but here's the thing. It's a two-part film that they mm-hmm. keep saying isn't a two-parter. Right. I think what they're going to do is they're going to split into two teams of heroes to deal with Thanos. I don't think we're going to get an end of the story until 2019, which will be seven years after the first time you saw Thanos on screen. Yeah. Yeah. Which is nuts. Yeah. But then the alternative is uh, Justice League. Mm-hmm. Which is going to wrap up or potentially wrap up the dark side stuff that was brought about in this year's film. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, and yeah. that's like that almost seems too fast. Yeah, like the Justice League trailer has the has the monobox being buried. Yeah, yeah, very quickly there. You know, and you're like, but you just introduced that. Well, it's being buried, but it's being it's not it's not being buried in our time. It's being buried in ancient times. Yeah, exactly. Uh, the the there's such a subliminal flash of you almost want to assume that it's King Arthur or something it's, like it's, that. It's uh, it's Atlantean of old. Oh, is that the, it? The setup is that uh, again, this is all hearsay. Mm-hmm. God knows if this is true. The the scuttlebutt. I'll put it that way. Is that the Amazons, the Atlanteans, and the humans all got a mother box each, and they were told to hide them. Mm. And so they all hit them around the world. Mm-hmm. And Darkseid's forces are coming to fight them. And that's what brings the whole thing into conflict. I see. And that's why you see a mother box in Batman versus Superman. Mm-hmm. And in the Ultimate Edition, you see Steppenwolf with three mother boxes. But they're, none of it is real. Even Steppenwolf isn't really there. Right. It's all projections until I twist head. Right. Okay. Apparently. Again... Right. We'll see. We will see. Yeah, because everything is is always in flux with these movies. Yeah, you know, sure. we get it. And they're like, they're not even mother boxes; they're cosmic boxes. <laughs> the cosmic is a key, and I'll say that because it's a, a, your audio. Cosmic. <laughs> oh, okay. So this is a good segue. Tom Cioli's doing superpowers. Jeff. Yes, 
Wow, that was an announcement that got me very excited, and I just saw it on his Twitter account. Really, not anywhere else. But yeah, it, it was it was it was a an, uh, it was an announcement that wasn't an announcement. Jerry mm-hmm. uh, just gave it away at the Young Animal panel. That's fabulous. And what I didn't understand until you pointed out is it's not a main title; it's a backup. No, it's a backup in the Cape Carson book. Wow, wow, um, and all the books look great. Mm-hmm. They they were they were talking them up mm-hmm. at, at the press breakfast, Jeff. I, I went to DC's press breakfasts, and let me tell you, that was some good bacon. Well, and you've got that uh, hero of the beach. Towel I have the flex mentality towel, which is yeah, that flex mentality towel so is beautiful, good. so good. <laughs> yeah, and I think someone pointed out online. Hopefully, we'll, I'm sure we'll find a photo and post it on the show notes. But that's that's Nick Dragota drying it. Yes, yeah, that's it is. not actually quite. No, nope, it's kind of shocking to yeah. me because it really did look just beautiful. Yeah, I, 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 one of my friends on Twitter was like, "Is that a, a quietly?" He was like, "The book's really old. Why are they doing that now?" It's like, "Oh, it's, it's a Doom Patrol." Yeah, and he was like, "Yeah, I know they're Doom Patrol. Why are they using a quietly drawing?" I was like, "No, no, no. This is actually Nick Dragotta's drawing, not Nick Dragotta. Nick Darrington. Oh, Darrington. Sorry. Yeah, yeah sorry. Nick Dragotta and Joe Casey are doing All America comics. Oh, yes. The, That's why I was the on my brain. America. Vasquez is definitely not Miss America Chavez. Um, definitely not. Right on. Uh, title. Which I... Is... You know what I was surprised about? I was surprised when that was announced so many people were upset. Were people upset? Yeah. People were like, this isn't the people I want to see doing this character. Mm. They were like, I, didn't, I don't care about the people who created the character. I care about Kieran Gillen and Jamie McKelvey's version. And that like, makes sense to me. But also, like, you know, why, why don't they just come up with something else? And it's so funny because when I found out I was like, this is great. It's like when Anglehart stole Mantis. Mm-hmm. It's like when Garber stole Howard the Duck. I love this shit. Yeah. I, it's, it's funny, because, of course, my go-to was like, oh, it's it's Liefeld stealing Fighting American. You know, yeah. Captain America into Fighting American, yeah. for whatever reason. So I'm, I'm kind of like... But, like, I like that, too. Yeah, I like that, too, actually. I do. Uh, I like it. I just, as you know, I don't, I don't really connect with Joe Casey. So I'm like, yeah, whatever. I can see white people. I, I think it's funny that he did it. I think that it's, I think that it's great that, that Casey's got that kind of, um, that there's someone who is in a position to be openly, so openly subversive, uh, in the face of Marvel, Marvel. and DC, but <laughs> yeah. particularly Marvel in this case. But, um, I can also see where people are kind of like, Oh, ha ha, you know? Yeah. And it's sort of, so we'll see. I, I forget, was there any official reaction from Marvel on it, or no? Nope. Wow. And I was even asking journalists who were talking to Alex, uh, Axel Alonso at the show, I was like, just ask them. Yeah, ask right, them. just ask them. They're like, I'm not going to ask them. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah. Just ask them. And they were like, nah. Yeah. Nah. He had talking points. Everyone had talking points at Comic-Con. That's the way it works. So do you have a... Part of me is like... Because we have, we have a tight we, deadline. We actually do have a tight deadline. We really have been told that we've got to wrap this up. So, comics? Are there particular comics you want to talk about? Uh, we have comics news. I mean... Let's see. Oh, yeah, there is, actually. Yeah? Hope Larson and Raphael Albuquerque's Batgirl. Yeah? Holy shit! Yeah? Yeah. Like, I've, I've liked a lot of the Rebirth books. You uh-huh. know this. Um, that might have come from nowhere to be my favorite of them. Really? With the first issue, which just... I don't need manga much, as mm. you know. Mm-hmm. But it feels like the first time someone has successfully synthesized manga and American comics to come up with something that fits both. Hmm. There's, 
I, I can't explain it. There, there's something about the way, and it's not the visuals, but the book looks beautiful. It's Raphael Albuquerque art with Dave McKay colors. Mm. Um, but it's Larson's writing mm-hmm. that is just, it feels like nothing else in mainstream superhero comics right now. Mm. And I love it for that. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really simple. It's, you know, for people who are like, I want this in-depth, you know, what emotional journey is she going on? It's not that book. But for people who want a book that is YA superheroes, mm-hmm. it's great. Mm-hmm. There's top balloons, there's diagrams where she actually, because she has the eidetic memory, mm-hmm. where she remembers how a particular fight went. Mm. And it's, it's, it's done graphically. Wow. Um, there's, it's a pared down cast. It's Bad Girl and her old school friend. Mm-hmm. As the, in the first issue, get embroiled in a mystery. Mm-hmm. And she decides to set it off. And the friend isn't really aware this mystery is going on. And it's just, it's super fun. I mean, it's a super fun, well done YA comic. Sounds great. That I, I was I was floored by when I read it. I loved it. How did you handle it when it turned out that uh, Batgirl and Bruce Wayne were sleeping together? I, I I I'm massively in love with that idea. Of course, it's it's what I've always hoped for. It, uh, I always thought, you know, it would be great. If only those two would fucking just get it over. You know what? I have to thank you for saying that out loud, Graham, because it's clear <laughs> no, if there's one right? thing that all of all of comics fandom, without a doubt, male and female, watching Batgirl for over the scope of fifty years, everyone's like, just just do it already. And really? Are you actually saying this? Or no, <laughs> of course I'm being sarcastic. Jesus. No, no, because I didn't think you were saying in the sense of like you wanted it to happen as yeah. much as you knew someone would do it at some point. No, no, no. Actually, it is one of those things that at a certain point just is uh, is dumb and wrong. Really. Right? It really yeah. is. It's it's so, so bad yeah. that I'm, and here's the thing. Someone told me this happened a month ago. Someone said it was in the movie. And I... Outright, a month ago. A month ago. And I outright did not believe it. Really? Yeah. Because I was like, they're not going to be that dumb. Mm-hmm. They're not going to be that dumb. Mm-hmm. And they were like, Brian Azzarello wrote it. And I was like, I don't care. Even, <laughs> that, even Brian Azzarello <laughs> is not that dumb. Yeah. yeah. I'll, I'll tell you when we start recording who it was that I had this conversation with. Wow. Yeah, I was told a month ago and I did not believe it because it seemed so fucking stupid. Yeah. Yeah, that's really... That, that was the... Oh, you... You know, it's funny because I don't... I don't don't give a crap about the animated movies, and it's it's kind of a, it's kind of a shame because you know I, I like I, Batman I, yeah. the animated series. I, I, I wish I did. Yeah, I wish I did too. Because there's they're kind of easy to get a hold of. They end up on Netflix or like yeah. I've got the HBO app, and they they'll dump a whole chunk of them in there. Started watching, I think the Wonder Woman one to see if I could show it to my niece. Who it turns yeah. out I think had already seen it and. Watch the first couple of minutes of it, and I'm just like, I can't. I just because so, I remember the Justice League show, and I loved it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah, I don't. I don't know. It's and I'll see the the yeah they'll drop all sorts of trailers. I don't remember what movie I rented, but it, it had a oh the, the discs have like here's the you know an extended look of the next one we're doing, exactly. and there's like ten minutes. Yeah, something. yeah, yeah. Like serious amounts of footage, yeah. and, and, and they're yeah. So I. I but it's clear I, that it's I, doing something for someone because it is a, it is a s- serious arm of DC's marketing. I'm going to put it this way: I think it's doing a lot for Warner Brothers consumer products. Oh, okay. I'm not sure it's doing a lot for DC. 
Okay. But I think it's doing... Because think about it. What else is Warner Brothers Animation doing these days? Yeah, that's true. Right. You know? Right. And uh, whereas the DC things have an input market because there are always going to be people who are going to buy these movies. That's right. You know? Yeah. So I think I think it's much more a Warner Brothers thing. Mm-hmm. Actually, that was something that was interesting at the DC uh, press practice. The reason Scooby Apocalypse, Future Quest... Um, uh, Wacky Races. Wacky Raceland and, and the Flintstones. Yeah. Did you see the fifth title they announced? No. Garth Ennis is writing Dastardly and Mudley, and I thought it was a joke, but it's real. Oh, I said that on your timeline. Garth yeah. Ennis is writing Dastardly and Mudley, and this is apparently how it came about. Garth Ennis overhears Marie Javins, the editor of Line, talk to Dan Dio at New York Comic Con last year about this. Thinks that they're joking. They oh. have to reassure him that they really do have the rights to do this. Which, to complete my first thought, came about because Diane Nelson was then put in charge of Warner Bros. Consumer Products, mm. which meant she was in charge of Hanna-Barbera, which meant DiDio and Lee could go to her and be like, can we have them? Mm-hmm. Can mm-hmm. we play with those toys? Mm-hmm. And she was like, whatever, go for it. Anyway, Ennis has apparently got crazily excited about this, that they were doing these books. And they were like, whatever, it's Garth Ennis. You know, great. Yes. <laughs> He's excited, maybe someone will like them. Right. Apparently, they then got back to the office afterwards, and within a week, he had a pitch for the Dastardly Muttley series. They hadn't even asked him, he just sent them up a cold pitch wow. for Dastardly and Muttley. Wow. And they were like, if you want to write Dastardly and Muttley, you're Garth Ennis. Sure. Yeah. You can, you can have Dastardly and Muttley. So I don't think it is a spin-off of Wacky Raceland. I think it's a completely separate Dastardly and Muttley series by Garth Ennis. <laughs> right? The best part was, when they told us at the press breakfast... They could not believe it. You could see in their faces, they're like, we have no idea why Garth Ennis said he wants to do this book. <laughs> <laughs> but he does. Wow. Yeah, they had the face of like, we can't believe our good fortune. Wow. That's crazy. Yeah. That's, that's really crazy. impressive. Um, but no, I think I think it's, I think think it's Warner Brothers gets much more of these DC movies than DC does. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, DC probably gets money for it. Sure. Yeah, there's yeah. some sort of money in whatever, what have you. But I mean, otherwise. Yeah. I mean... Are there really people who are like, I'm so glad I saw Justice League War. That has changed my understanding but of But that's these what characters. I'm saying, is is that, that I wouldn't think so, but they keep doing them, so so I mean I get the sense that they are the, profitable. This is me being cynical. Mm-hmm. The fact that they've gone to a R rated movie an R rated adaptation yeah. makes me think that it is a shrinking market mm. and they're trying to appeal to that shrinking market more. Right. You know, after doing a two-part adaptation of Dark Knight Returns, yeah, then they're like, now we're doing an R-rated killing joke. Well, I think that I think they could. I think that. Well, I don't. Know. Yes, I suppose that is true. I think we're, that, we're just we're just. I years away from Watchmen. Right. Let's be honest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Three volume Watchmen edition. You've always waited for. See, they should they should just let Brian Azzarello get ahead of the curve and have him do the Justice League Watchmen War ahead of the comics. Um, which would just make everyone shit themselves. You can't tell, but I'm shaking my head right now. <laughs> I'm so unhappy that fair, uh, that concept. Oh, Jesus. Don't even say that. I know, just saying it out loud, right? It was like, well, actually, I started thinking, like, oh, you know, Zack Snyder should do that. Because, of course, Snyder did Watchmen, so I was like, he's doing Justice League now. He, you know, they're taking the plot points from one another, you know, why not? So. <laughs> Well, just the whole Superman is that Superman dies at the end of Batman versus Superman, and then he's dead at the beginning of the rebirth stuff, so, right? I 
guess, but there's another Superman in Rebirth already. Well, yeah. Superman I, Rebirth is the weirdest comic. Did I tell you this? No, you did not. So the first issue, the Rebirth issue, is completely separate from the, the main series, right? Then you have the first issue of the main series, which I really liked. It's centered around, like, the kid's yes. point of view. Yeah. But there's, like, this weird element of body horror. Like, the kid accidentally fries the, the family pet. Mm-hmm. And he's like, I don't know what's happening with my body. My dad's scary. Second issue seems to close this off and has a real ends with like a really warm scene of like we're a family we're gonna do it together let's bury the pet together which is honestly how it ends <laughs> let's bury the pet together wow. um third issue is then like and here's the eradicator and he's gonna turn your son into a true kryptonian and he's gonna kill lois again i'm like what is this fucking schizophrenic series you can't decide on your tone I want to like you, but you can't decide in your tone. That doesn't surprise me, though. Because, I mean, that tone, there was a lot of weird tonal stuff going on in Tomasi's Batman and Robin. Yeah, but this is much more so. I felt like the tonal stuff in Batman and Robin was at least storyline specific. Do you know what I mean? Like, this storyline is this. The next storyline is something else. This is literally the same storyline, issue by issue, you feel like Tomasi just does not know what he wants to do with the book. Mm. Well, or, may, or he's being... He's tugged in two ter- different yeah, directions. Maybe I don't know. I think he probably pitched the it's... pitched the one, and then they were like, "Okay, but you got to deliver the other." And he's yeah. like, "Of course, yes, yeah, exactly. I can do that." Well, you know, this is this is going to be my my segue into talking about uh, briefly um, alternate reality stories. Go and my appreciation for them, which comes out of reading some recent stuff that is not alternate reality at all. Uh, while I was here in Portland. I've only barely sort of touched the surface of, of um, comic book sh- store shopping. Which is so unusual. I feel like this is, A, a longer trip in Portland than yeah. you normally do, and B, by this point, you've normally hit up all the stores. I have. Yeah, normally I have. And and uh, this time I... I mean, I issued other reasons to be here this time, which probably took your attention away. Well, a little bit. Yeah, yeah. For a little bit, but I have so much time on either end, it should have happened. But no, I, I actually spent a lot more time playing pinball and drinking beer with my brother than I did eating waffles and shopping for comic books. It's all change. Yeah, it is. It is. But uh, but at one point, I did end up in Bridge City Comics, mm-hmm. uh, in part because we were in the neighborhood to eat stuff. Sure. And um, we ended up ducking into the... Um, I went into Bridge City and feeling that I should get something and realized that I did not have... The two issues of Sabrina that had come out oh, yeah, recently, yeah, yeah. kind of relatively yeah. close together. After the book disappeared for like a year. A yeah. year, exactly. Yeah. I, I thought I was only one issue behind, so I was two. So yeah. I picked up those two well, issues. That's understandable. The book disappeared for a year. Year. I think you're fair to be like, they probably only managed an issue. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> exactly. And I have to say, it is ridiculous that, that for that book's publication schedule, but I really... I really love it. I really love what they are doing with Sabrina. The um, collection is just about to come out. Yeah. And, and I think that might be the way to read it from now on. Just, like, wait until the collections are out and then... Well, maybe. Maybe. Oh, because that was an irregular publishing well, schedule. Well, no, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. The irregular publishing schedule, is kill, it killed it. You know, it's just a huge, huge mistake for the publication. But that being said... One of the things that's interesting about, even though it is a larger storyline, the first five issues, um, the six is actually kind of a bottle episode. It's a, it's a story about, um, the origin of Salem 
the, the trade is just the first five, interestingly enough. Yeah, that makes sense because it because it's it's all a one story. Yeah, and then the story of yeah. who he is. Yeah, exactly. So um, is is a real jump, but it's how do I put it? The thing that's interesting to me about Aguirre Sacasa is, in a way, he's almost doing the equivalent of Cioli's Transformers versus GI Joe. But he's doing it like it, yeah, but, but for he's, horror. You know? But also he's doing it with, it feels somewhat more legit when he does it for some reason. Yeah. Does that make sense? Yes. Because, yeah. like, Seoli feels very much like, it's it's Tom Seoli. He's doing wacky shit. Right. But here you have the guy who's the, the CCO of the company. Yeah. Doing well, this stuff, you know? He's the CCO of the company, um, and there's just a, Seoli pushes, pushes Transformers versus G.I. Joe to, to a much farther level. Yeah. And Especially think, with the last issue with the, the My Little Funny joke, which is the funniest joke in yeah, in everything. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well there's there's so much there's so much insane shit on that. Did you did you read the issue? Did no, you know? I literally someone showed me the, the yeah. My Little Pony joke and I was like, that is hilarious. My little pony joke is amazing. The the secret identity of uh, flag is amazing. Um yeah, there's a lot of stuff. Yeah. But also Cioli will there's so many things looking when I was looking at it where it he, he pushes the outsider artiness of it. There's as I think Joe McCulloch pointed out in the very his his review of the zero issue, he stages these tableaus so that the characters look like toys. Yeah. You know? Yeah, yeah. And he does that a lot. Um so by contrast, everything that Sakasa is doing is, is, along with I wish I could remember the Robert name. Hack. Robert Hack is the Thank you, Robert Hack, yeah. yeah. Uh, that that they're doing is pushed much closer to the realm of quote unquote reality. Yeah, yeah. But where uh, Sukasa is interesting because he used to be, to, as I've talked about, I found him really very bland in uh, when he was working for Marvel. Mm-hmm. A lot of his Marvel books, he seems to have picked up a lot from his time on Glee, for example. I can see that the 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 uh, melodrama. The, yeah. the, the bigness of it all. Exactly. The bigness of it. The camp. Yeah. The, the camp and, and the, the very... The, this actually reminds me. You know that he's showrunning Riverdale. The, the, right. The Archibald. Yeah. I didn't know the pitch of that until this weekend. Oh. Uh, and I only got told the pitch after people I know and opinions I trust had seen the pilot. Uh-huh. It's Twin Peaks with the Archie characters. Ah. And there was, like, I found this out and the person who's seen it is like... It really fucking is Twin Peaks of the Archie characters. And apparently they're ending the mystery within the first year as well. So wow. they're not the Twin Peaks problem of yeah. you go too long and eventually no one cares. Yeah, right. Um, but the person who saw the pilot was genuinely surprised. They were like, oh, they did it. They actually did do it's Twin Peaks meets Dawson Creek. Yeah. And it works. Yeah. But, it doesn't that, but that also goes with what you're saying. Like, yeah. there, there's the, there's, there is the bigness in the camp. Yeah. There? The bigness you know? in the camp, yeah, exactly. And and what I find fascinating, because one of the things that's hilarious is uh, issue five of Sabrina brings in, there's a performance of Macbeth, mm-hmm. a school production that's happening in Riverdale, and Betty and Veronica are trying out for two of the witches, <laughs> along with, uh, what's her name? Cheryl Blossom? Midge. I'm yeah. just going to throw a name that... No, 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 it'll Moose. just confuse me. Yeah, Moose. Anyway... <laughs> But what ends up happening is, of course, Betty and Veronica are actually witches. And 
and have always been witches, and Madame Satan recruits them to help with Sabrina's trial. Oh my god, that's genius! And and it is. I mean, it is. It's it, again. It's totally camp. Yeah, but it's genius. Yeah, it's really smart. And and that's what I think is really funny about about. I mean, it is. It's really smart, and it's even. It's a complete. He's doing a completely different take on the characters than he's doing in Afterlife with Archie, yeah. which has a completely other different set of dark takes yes. on the Archie characters. Yes. So, uh, so sort of the same way that Transformers versus GI Joe does that has sort of that Paul's boutique like everything goes in the blender. Um, uh, Sabrina does this amazing job of taking things that are just a little bit more than shout-outs of so many pieces. Like, you know, Rosemary's Baby pops up in a previous yeah, issue. Yeah. The, the the thing of Sabrina standing on trial, like, literally runs the gamut from the Crucible to the fucking Monkey's Paw. Like, yeah, yeah. They just jam, it jams no, it, so it, much you, stuff you in You can there. tell in this and Afterlife that, mm-hmm. like, this is also what uh, Scatter enjoys like yeah. uh, like he's he's a very much a fan of the horror genre yeah he, and he, he is and he can find enough different things mm-hmm. to take out and project onto these characters yeah that makes it really interesting yeah. without being like I have a horror take on Archie yes exactly yeah. and I mean he works Archie in there but yeah the 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 way no, that I mean, like the Archie it, universe yeah exactly the Archie universe is just sort of one more fragment that he uses yeah. to play with it. So he really impresses the shit out of me. Um, but also what fascinates me is the level to which I'm not sure the story would necessarily have that same punch if it wasn't... Yeah, exactly, if it wasn't Sabrina. Yeah. If it was just like, you know... Yeah. Julie the Teenage Witch. If, 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 it, <laughs> if, the, if those five or six issues had literally been Scott Snyder's and Jock's witches, yeah. but just with different names, yeah. I would have been like... I would have liked it better than Scott Snyder and Jock's Witches, don't get me wrong, but I would have been like, eh. Then the flip side is, and this is really weird, uh, uh... You have 12 minutes, Jeff. I know, I know. Listeners, you may remember that, um, uh, in a previous episode, I was talking about doing Comixology Unlimited. Yes! And I said, and part of it was, I was like, because Hoopla, which my library has didn't have the access to the graphic novels. And as I said that, I'm like, well, that was true six months ago, but let, let me check again. Exactly. Yeah. And so it does. It does. Yeah. Yeah. Is the, is the gist of it. So I've been reading something that I've always wanted to read, but never wanted to put the investment in. Oh, now I'm super curious. What? Batman, no man's land. Like the first volume of no man's land, which I, because that was like a year's worth of comics, right? Yeah. I yeah, like yeah. I know of all the Batman titles, so that's gonna be realistically like at least sixty issues. I think I think it's three volumes of trades. Oh, and I'm shit. I'm working my way through the first volume. Are they terrible? Because that was a weird time for the books, because you've got yeah. like Rucka was coming in, Devin Grayson was there. Yeah. But you had you still had Alan Grant and Doug Munch and, and right. uh Chuck Dixon was definitely part of that. Yeah, that's right. Uh, uh so it's it's going slow, basically. It starts off, the first trade starts off with four issues by Bob Gale, drawn by a very young Alex Maleev. Wow. Yeah. And it lays down the f- foundation of No Man's Land. And it is, as long as you can, again, this is my thing. This is like, as an alternate reality sure. take yeah. on things, I'm like, 
this is great. You know, I mean, because it really is also because it's the 90s, it goes really far down this grim and gritty yeah, route. Yeah, yeah. And honestly, I had this thing of like, they should they should do like an Elseworlds version of this. Well, it's a continuing series. But think about it. They've got Injustice right now, which is it, it's pretty much the same thing. Right. It's an alternate reality. Yeah. Uh, I, I, I met Tom Taylor. Mm, uh, oh, great. I interviewed Tom Taylor. The nicest fucking guy. Like, so friendly and kind and, and just a lot of fun to talk to. Um, it's very, and it was very funny because I was like, you know, you had to turn Superman into evil. You had to kill Lois. You had to kill their unborn kids. Mm-hmm. You have to have Superman killing the Joker all in the first issue. And you clearly like Superman. And he's like, oh, Superman's my guy. Like, I love Superman. I found out, I got this book. They told me what Superman had to do in the first issue. And I was crying on the phone with my mother. Like, because that's how much I love Superman. But he was like, basically, then I got into the idea that, oh, this is the world where you just make people hurt. Mm-hmm. And it's like, it's great. You can do whatever you want with the DC characters. Right. And you have all the DC characters. Right. And the only rule is, they have to hurt. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's exactly what you're talking about. You have this alternate, not alternate take. Yeah. Yeah. And that was it. So the, the stuff where they go in the first issue, first four issues of No Man's Land, is kind of hard to believe but but it's really extreme because it's very very post apocalyptic. Well, you know? I mean, it's not something ridiculous like there was an earthquake that was so bad that America just decides fuck it and cuts Gotham off. Uh, yeah, basically, which is so like, the, the, that's a high concept. It's both genius, and crazy. And well, time. genius and crazy, and there's that additional level of straight from the offices of Denny O'Neill, like a oh, yeah, little yeah. too shrill and liberal because the flip because it's like there's a series of earthquakes that demolish the city. There's a guy named, I think, Nicholas Scratch, if I'm understanding correctly, who's a television evangelist who manages to convince everyone that, that, the end times. that, that Gotham is basically the Sodom by the Bay and therefore should not receive any federal funds because it's a perverse city. And the Dead feds... O'Neill. Exactly. <laughs> and the city goes with it, it. Like, the feds go with it. So the city gets no federal funding. It more or less just gets shut down. And interestingly enough, the first couple of pages where there's, like, guys on the outside, there's, like, what seems... There's a priest who's trying to get supplies yeah. in, and the guards are like, you can't fucking go in. But before that, the guards are like, what the fuck's... What are they going to do with this place? It's like, they're just going to clear... They're just going to wait till everyone clears out, and then they're going to bulldoze it and just develop it. You know? For, yeah. like, real estate guys. Is one theory. There's all these theories yeah, yeah. that are sort of jumping around. So... Apart from the idea that this seems impossible to have happen in modern continuity yeah. and or modern times, yeah. um, putting the Gotham characters, especially the wider spread of Gotham characters... Yeah, because you have, like, Huntress, and you have, at that point, I think even Question was a member of the Gotham team. Right, right, yeah, it's kind, of, it's kind of weird. Like, a lot of the people, apparently Batman told a bunch of them to stay out in a way. Yeah. So, like, Nightwing is out, and I think the idea is, that once again to stop that, like, oh, Batman has a small army of characters. Yeah, exactly. But at that point, the, there's, there's the, dogs. the supporting cast is so big. Yeah. You've got you've got Gordon, they brought in Sarah, yep. you know, yep. who he's currently married yep. to. You've got Barbara as Oracle. You don't remember, like, you didn't read the series at the time, right? No. So you don't know the ending? No, I have no idea. Okay. I have no idea. Although okay. I do know I do know the fate of that character because somebody was bitching about it on the internet, which makes a lot of sense. So, 
it, and so it's having all those characters spread across a post-apocalyptic city and trying to figure out how to survive. It's a super great setup for a story. It really is. It is. It just do it as a series. Do it. Do it as an alternate reality series where there's no other superheroes. Where maybe it's the fall. Keep doing it, Jeff. Keep going. This is what happens. Ah, <laughs> the fall. The, it's the fall of the country. You know, fall of the U.S. Everyone in Gotham's trying to get by. Basically, do a Walking Dead take on it with the Gotham characters yeah. as an alternate reality, and and it would work. Because even as I'm reading it, it it works. It's and what's super funny is yeah. like I remember when it came out, everyone was like, "This is like this would never happen." And now when you read it, now you are past like Katrina, and you're past all these things where you're like, "I'd still like to think it couldn't happen." Right. But right. Well, and there is, there's some East Coast city that got completely fucked, and I can't remember where the feds refused to fund it, and they were... Well, some rumors, like, remember, with the water thing. Right. You know, well, yeah. There's all these things. There's all that stuff. Seriously, by the time you look at Detroit, and you look at some of the stuff that's happening in Detroit, but part of me is like... Dennis O'Neill was ahead of his time. Oh, my God. Which is hilarious, because he's got... (laughs) So it's like the four parts, first four parts by uh, Gail, Bob Mm -hmm. Gail and Alex Maleev, enjoyable, satisfying, and it's usually Commissioner Gordon having to make a lot of hard yeah. choices, which again made me think of Walking Dead. Uh, and then and then you get into the first of two parts or more of an Azrael story by Dennis O'Neill that is that you're just like Well that's that's the problem with this stuff, is that because they did run across like seventeen series. Yeah. That is really variable. Well, and it is. It's really variable. It's followed by a Devin Grayson story that's like four parts long, with had, which has Huntress and Scarecrow and this priest. One of the things I think is interesting about it is is that even with the O'Neill stuff, but certainly Grayson stuff, is an attempt to try and find a way. First off, it's a little too long at like four parts or something yeah. like that. It is way too decompressed. But I am fascinated by the way in which they are grasping toward trying to tell what we think of as "quote unquote" modern comics, yeah. like in those sta- yeah. at that day mm-hmm. back in the nineties. And I, I've never read these comics, but I have read the novelization. Oh right, did Rucka do that? Rucka did the novelization. See, I keep waiting to see his name pop up. <laughs> and, uh, I want to see he comes in like not even the back half, but like maybe the back quarter. Yeah, that makes sense. And then he writes a lot about it, I seem to remember. Right. Like, I seem to remember, like, at some point, clearly, like, he sat down with O'Neill, and O'Neill was like, oh, I can use you. You. I need you. Um, Yeah. But the novelization was actually really good. I remember that, because Rucka took over Detective immediately following, Mm -hmm. and that was when I started reading Detective. Me too. And so I read the novel to basically find out what had happened. Mm -hmm. I was like, oh, it's Rucka. Like, Mm -hmm. I'm reading his comics, I like that. You know what I mean? Uh, I'd be, I would be super curious to read that book again, actually. Well, no. I, I was about to say you okay. can you of course you can request it in the library, but I've got it. I managed to get it in digital, and so the, the, spent time the, going through the book it. book, the, the novel book. Oh, oh, sorry, no, I've got the I've got yeah. the trade. No, I'm but super yeah, curious, but the I'm book, book yeah, yeah, you should yeah. be able to I'm get a hold of that. Those boys. Okay, so ground. We we have like three minutes. Yeah, so I think we have to. What else? What else do you want to do? Well, I think that was it. Oh, you're you're totally like you want me to talk about craft on bolt system saves the justice. No, I really I really don't. I was just. Oh, okay. No, I I read that and that was um that is a hilarious. I don't know if you've ever read it, but Joshua Williamson and and Christian (gasps) Doucet. I Joshua Williamson's Flash is really good. Well, that's good. 
His his flash rebirth is actually super solid. Oh, I'm glad to hear it. Well, he paid his dues on this one, and it's <laughs> hilarious. It's not hilarious in the deliberate. Um, oh no, it's 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 licensed comics hilarious. There's Marvel are putting a lot of their licensed comics on on unlimited. Have you noticed? I have, and those are all worth the read. What else? Yes and no. Well, well we're, sorry, like for the wrong reasons, but right, exactly. Yeah. But I mean, serious. Well, this is it. Even even Kraft's bolt-on system saves the Justice League. I would rank as a part higher than Pirate Booty and the Avengers Save the Seas or whatever it is. Um, or I, I actually, I have to admit, I didn't read both parts of Captain America, Harley Davidson, uh, Avenger, you know, yeah. isn't that written by Parker? Like in all seriousness, isn't that it written by Parker? I mean, he, I did, he definitely did a lot of that stuff. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like, but yeah, but no, no there, there's a bunch of that stuff. Yeah, stuff. yeah, I know. And I keep wanting to, there's some of that stuff I've downloaded, but yeah, the DC stuff, honestly, Again, KFC core. The Kentucky Fried Chicken ones are are seriously the best. Tony Bajani right. needs. What is he? What is he doing in that comic? Yeah. Why are his other comics not that fun? I don't know. I do not, not know. But he they're could, not. But on, on KFC, for some reason, he he totally cuts loose. Yeah. He he does it brilliantly. I don't know. Of course, Bedard. I've always got a soft spot for because he because I have that weird soft spot for Exiles and it's the I I would have that soft spot if I hadn't read all his uh, Green Lantern stuff which a lot of it is unfair because he was just hampered with terrible artists right which you know can kill the enjoyment of a, of a good comic yeah but um yeah it's just uh, I, I have like I get it oh Tony anyway. you deserve better because he he is a good writer yeah like give him a chance he's a good I, writer I, I think he's I think he's I can't. I can't ever count him out, despite the fact that he he seems to be the current definition of hacky McHackerson. Like part of me is like, certainly the KFC stuff is so much better than it has a right to be. Yeah. That I'm like I you know I'm like come on, Tony, get your image shit exactly. together. Yeah, and, get an image book together. Yeah, and I'll work out. Yeah. That exactly. That is that is in that kind of irreverent vein that makes it work and, and do it. I think we should move into closing because we've been told that we've had we, 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 yeah, we have to actually stop now. There, we should expect them coming through the door yeah, any just minute. Be like, just, that would be the greatest end. That would be... Okay, so we should do the normal closing, right? Yes. Uh, okay, so what do we normally do? Oh, we say, hey, thanks for listening, everyone. That's great. Yeah. We also... <laughs> so sincere because I'm rushing through this. Yeah. Uh, I, I talk about the fact that uh, Wait What Podcast is where you'll find show notes for this episode and every single goddamn episode of Wait What and Baxter Building. Uh, there's also written posts by Mr. Jeffrey Lester, by Mr. Greg McMillan, that would be myself, and by Mr. Matthew Terrell, who is actually the one who writes stuff on yeah. Deadline, as opposed to the two of us. Yeah. Uh, there's a Tumblr, waitwhatpods.tumblr.com. Yes. Where you'll find just random things. They go up there. Almost always related to comics. Occasionally not. We'll see. Um, there is the Twitter, at Wait What Podcast. Jeff's on Twitter, at LazyBastid, at L-A-Z-Y-B-E-S-T-I-D. I am on Twitter, at Graham M, at G-R-A-E-M-E-M. And there's a Patreon, which means I now get to see Jeff do his Patreon spiel and find out if he's written it down or if he just knows this off by heart. Oh, Jeff Lester, I go. have written it down, and so therefore I'm now going to fumble for it. That's what I'm looking forward yeah. to, my friends. We are, we are a Patreon-supported podcast, as Graham points out, so we are grateful to all of our listeners, although there should be a special shout-out that uh, we love to give to the cast and crew of American Ninth Art Studios for their continuing support, as well as to Empress Aubrey, Queen of the Galaxy. Still not destroyed us. Yes. 
Which is, is really nice of it, obviously. Indeed. Hail, hail the Empress. Hail Ming. Yes. But also, we thank all of, all of you, because, honestly, we, we couldn't do this without you. Uh, Graham always makes it, make, chides me for making that sound, like, cynical and money-hungry, but I just mean... Oh, we, actually, we actually really couldn't. Like, we, chance are might not be doing the podcast if we... If yeah, I think so. I, there's something about knowing that it's something that you guys are still excited for that manages to make me still excited for it. Because Jeff is a withered old husk of a man inside. It's true. It's true. If you can see him right now. Right now. <laughs> it's true. I look like a bunch of uh, pipe cleaner jammed into old corn husks. That's just the beard. <laughs> <laughs> that's that humor that's what keeps you going back listeners <laughs> high quality stuff uh, yeah. so this is where we say goodbye and I will in a second do the singing bye but just so you guys know we really are recording this in a basement it is 7 o'clock or 7.03 now they're late by 3 minutes we've gone away with it yeah. they can probably hear us wrapping up is why yeah um and Jeff and I and our respective spouses are going to eat at a place that Jeff likes called pizza on a plank it's not called that, but Jeff it calls should that. be. It Jeff, should be. Jeff calls it that, and that makes me so happy. I can't even tell you that I had to share with all of you. Um, we thank you very much for listening. Uh, as we were recording this, I still haven't put up the Baxter Building, but that's going to happen. I swear. By the time you hear this, it's definitely going to be up. Absolutely, and I guess we're back next week with probably another wait. What? Yeah. Right. Yeah. I yeah, think that's right. good. We'll you see. know what I was thinking was... Um, we're still recording, so do you want to say this while we're still recording? I do. Okay, I'm is, I was thinking that we should do a Q&A next one. Yes! People, ask us questions. Please. Uh, you can email us at waitwhatpodcast at gmail.com. You, you can, can tweet them at us. Twitter, yeah. yeah, at waitwhatpodcast. Or, or you can send them to the Tumblr. Yeah, I guess I guess there is. Is there an ask button uh, in there? I, I, Hey guys, why don't you try and ask the Tumblr something and see what happens? Yeah, see see if it happens. But uh, and if it doesn't, like ask me on Tumblr, or ask Jeff on Tumblr. Yeah, exactly. Right? That'll so work. yeah, that'll, that'll work. So yeah, come come. Oh, also Patreon people, ask us on Patreon. Oh, there we go. Yeah, in fact, Patreon people, feel free to ask us two questions. So that that is that special bonus that I think we promised long ago, and <laughs> occasionally get around to doing. Patreon people, please, ask us to. I will actually post on the Patreon thing and let people know so that they can submit questions to us. But yeah, heads up, fair game. Next week, Q&A, start throwing them at us now. We will accumulate them, by which I mean Graham will accumulate them, and I will forget them and or not see them. So, And then I'll ask them, and it's great, because you have to, like... Because, as we know from the past, you like to really ruminate on these and I like to answer them by seeing the fans. Yeah. If I've seen them before and you haven't, yeah. that's a great system we've got going on. <laughs> Indeed. I don't know that bombshell, ladies and gentlemen. Bye! Hey!